It's really good to be with you. Thank you for inviting me and to be part of your service this morning. It is a privilege. And Hope Church sends their love. They say hello and they, they can't wait to join again with you and to share fellowship again like we've done in the past. It's always been good this morning. So yeah, I think we need to go into prayer and fasting for the Welsh team. <laughs> I, I think they need, they, need, they need help. They need a miracle, I think. But there we are. I'm glad my hope is now found in them this morning. Um, I want to talk to you this morning a message called Down But Not Out. And it's going to come up on the screen. Down But Not Out. There's a man who worked in Chicago with the down and outs, the homeless. And one night a prostitute came in with her two-year-old daughter and started to share her story. She was in tears. She was desperate. She had no food, nowhere to live. And in desperation, she turned up at this place. And the guy who was there, he said, I listened to her sordid tale of her life, of what she had done, and how she'd even rented her daughter out. He said, I was legally obliged to report any abuse. He said, but as I stood there, he said, my heart breaking, and this woman in tears, he said, I was thinking what to say to her. And he said, so I turned to her after she had finished and said, have you ever thought about going to church for help? He said, I'll never forget her response and the horror that crossed her face. As she said, church, why on earth would I go there? They'd only make me feel worse. And I tell that story because sometimes in life we can do that. We, we want the broken and the hurting to come and be part of us because we know God can heal them. We know Jesus is the game changer in everybody's life. But for people outside, sometimes they think, well, I can't come as I am. Because I'll be judged or I'll be condemned or I'll be criticized. People say, you know, I'm not a church person. I don't know what a church person looks like, but I'm not a church person. And so I don't belong there. And this woman felt like that. She felt that it would make, they would make it only feel worse. And this morning as Christians, this message is not for any perfect Christian. So you can get a pass this morning if you're here and you're perfect. You can just chill out. This is not for you. But if you're imperfect this morning... If you get it wrong sometimes, you mess up and fail like I do, then perhaps this message will encourage you a little bit this morning. Because we come to God, and although we're saved, and although we've come to the cross and we've been born again, we still come with a load of hurts, hang-ups, and habits. I'm not going to put it on my back, because I did it in my church, and I couldn't get it back off. I was stuck. I was like a turtle. Um, so I just put it on one shoulder. But we come, and we carry so many things that God wants to heal us of. And our Christian walk isn't the joy that it should be. It isn't the freedom that we should experience because although we've known forgiveness, there are still things there that we carry and hold on to. Hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And it's the hang-ups I want to talk about a little bit this morning. And so this message, down but not out, is a message about failure. Because I think the enemy has a great tactic in the church that disables the church from being all that God called it to be. See, he gets us to believe that we're disqualified when Christ on the cross qualified us. But yet, in our minds, in our thoughts, in our spirits, in our hearts, we can feel still disqualified. And so we never step out with the confidence and the courage and the strength that he wants to give us to make a difference in our day and generation. We want to make an impact in the world. We want to see lives changed and transformed. And God wants to use us, his church, his people. He could do it without us. He could do it with angels. He could do it any way he wanted. But he chose mankind, humanity, to make a difference in this world. He called it his church. 
And so the church needs to rise up and be all that it wants to be. But to do that, we have to deal with some stuff. I don't know if you like a good decluttering. Anyone like a good decluttering in their house? Everyone's looking at each other, but yeah, now. Husbands looking at their wives saying, yeah, you're a hoarder. <laughs> well, sometimes in our lives, we're like that. We need a good decluttering and we need to deal with some stuff that may have been there for many, many, many years. And it's been there so long that we've kind of got used to it, almost like an old friend, and we've, we've made peace with it. But God wants to deal with it in our lives so that we can help others. It's only a person who is free can set others free. And God wants to do that as well. So we come to church, myself included, with our hurts, our hang-ups, and our habits. We come with rucksacks full of them, and we hold on to them. And what we do is, is a progression that the enemy has worked out that's very clever. You know I like my props. You know when you've got a bad preacher that he needs to bring props. Okay? Well, took me all week to make these. But we come, we come to church, right? Oh, so only the best for Abraham, isn't it? Is the spelling right, Mr. Morgan? I think so. <laughs> it's a bit dodgy, isn't it? But um, we come. And so what happens is, in our Christian life, is we mess up. Anyone messed up? Anyone got it wrong? A lot of people tell lies in your church, don't they? <laughs> huh? But yeah, we mess up and we get it wrong and we, we do wrong. And so what happens is we admit we failed. I'll try and put this on without strangling myself. We failed. And so we carry this label and we walk around with this label on, I've failed. And labels are okay, they're good, because you know the difference between a tin of beans and dog food. That's handy to know. But some labels are not okay. And the enemy likes labels because he likes to slap things on us that we carry with us and then we become identified with. And so we fail. Every one of us in the room has done that before we were Christian and after. It's not until we see him we become like him, but until then we're a work in progress. We're under, under construction this morning. So we failed. What do we do? We do what we did this morning with the communion table. We take it to the cross. We repent. We ask God to forgive us and cleanse us. And we've got the promise in 1 John where he says, if you confess your sin, he is faithful to forgive. And so we come in repentance. But sometimes when we fail, we don't leave it at the cross. And sometimes, and I'll be honest with you, the church don't allow us to leave it at the cross. Sometimes in past cultures, we've made prodigals out of people who were never prodigals to begin with. They were just struggling Christians. They were just human beings who had messed up and got it wrong. But we've labeled them prodigal. We've labeled them someone who's gone astray. We've made them feel condemned rather than convicted. And instead of drawing them closer to God, with our tradition and our culture, we sometimes push them further away. I failed. So what happens next is... Hold on a minute. We go from I failed to I feel like a failure. Now it becomes an emotion. I am going to quote scripture in a minute, honestly. Now. But see, I failed. So now I feel like a failure. Anyone feel like that? Still lying to me? Okay. Okay, so I, I failed and I feel like a failure. So now my emotions are involved and I'm carrying this around with me. Even though I repented and I got the scriptures that tell me that God forgives and his mercies are new every day and he loves me unconditionally, I still feel it. And these two we can deal with. This is not so serious at the moment because we all fail. And naturally you're going to feel like a failure. You're going to have that emotional response to it. 
But the deadly one is the third one that follows on, that says, I am a failure. I no longer failed. I no longer feel like a failure. Now I, I am a failure. And this subtle progression in this transition suddenly becomes a label that, that hinders and restricts our growth, our fruitfulness, and our ability to serve and do what God wants us to do. Because now it's not just something we've done or something we feel. It's now something I am. And that's the killer. That's the killer in the Christian life. I am a failure. And this morning, I just want to come and say that when you fail, failure is something you've done, not something you are. A failure is something that has happened, not something that you are. It's not your identity. It's something that's happened to you, but don't take it upon you and be labeled by it. And the reason I say that is, is because we've got a great example in Scripture of someone who failed, but yet went on to do great things. He was down, but he was not out. And this is what Jesus was trying to tell him. He dealt with him in the right way, sometimes better than we do. But he dealt with it. So in Luke 22 and verse 31, it's going to come on the screen. Whoops. I'm doing well this morning, Luke. Luke 22, 31 to 34. We have this scripture about Peter. We all know Peter, and we all know that he was quite impulsive. But Jesus comes to him, and he says, Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. And I want to stop there and just say, I want you to listen this morning. I know you can hear me, but are you listening? Hearing is the ability of the ears. Listening is an act of the will. And so listen. This is what Jesus says. Listen to me. Satan has obtained permission to come and sift you like wheat and test your faith. But I have prayed, Peter, that you would stay faithful to me no matter what comes. And then he says this, remember this. So listen and remember. After you have turned back to me and have been restored, make it your life mission to strengthen the faith of your brothers. And this is where Peter, the impulsive, jumps in. But Lord, he says, I am ready to stand with you to the very end, even if it means prison or death. I'm ready to die for you. I'm ready to be martyred. And Jesus looked at him, and I'm sure with a smile and with love and compassion, he says, before the rooster crows in the morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. I think it's hard when we feel like we're ready to do something, we're ready to go all in, and actually we're not. We're a bit like Peter sometimes, that we think we're ready to do anything for God, and that moment comes and we realize we're not as courageous as we thought we are. We're surprised by our own sin. We're surprised by our own humanity, our own failings, and our own faults. Peter thought he was ready to die. Jesus says, you're not, not yet. You're not. You're going to be tested, but you're going to fail at this point. You're going to deny me three times. And we're going to look at how Jesus dealt with that. And so the first thing he did was remind him that it wasn't a surprise. Nothing is a surprise to him. Peter, my dear friend, listen to what I'm about to tell you. He knew before it happened. He knew what heaven was doing. He knew what hell was doing. He knew this situation that was coming upon Peter. And so he wasn't surprised by it. And so when we fail, when we fail and we make a mistake and we, we do things wrong, it may shock us and we feel that we have to run from God, but really we should run to God because he knew that it was going to happen. He knew what was going to, he took us on knowing 
He chose us knowing that we would make mistakes and faults and failures. And he made provision for that. Does that mean we can just sin? No, of course we can't. Does that mean we continue a lifestyle that is wrong or ungodly? No, we don't. Grace inspires us to live better. God's sacrifice inspires us to live holy. His strength, his power helps us to obtain that. We have been given everything, Peter tells us, to live a life of godliness. We've been given everything we need. So I'm not saying let's compromise, let's, it's okay. It's not. But what I'm saying is that when we do fall, and there's a difference between falling into sin and walking into sin. But when we fall and we make a mistake and we feel like we've failed, we have to realize that God is not surprised by it. And when we realize he's not surprised, we don't have to run from him. When we think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it says they hid from God. Where were they going to hide? How do you hide from God? But yet God in his graciousness walked in the cool of the day and said, where are you? He knew where they were. But his kindness and graciousness was calling them out. And sometimes we hide because we think, God, you didn't realize what I'm like. You, you see my true colors. I failed. I thought I was better than this. I thought I was a better Christian than that. But now my life has turned, taken a turn that I didn't expect. I messed up. You've seen me for where I really am. I'm not worthy anymore. I should give up. And so often in Christian life, that's what people do. And God says, well, I wasn't surprised. I seen what was coming. I knew what had happened. And I've made provision for it. We know Peter was grief-stricken by this. When you read Matthew 26, it says, with a broken heart or a shattered heart in one of the translations, it says Peter left the courtyard sobbing after he had denied Jesus three times. He was shattered by the, the situation because it shocked him and it surprised him. But Jesus, in that moment, it says he looked at him when he did it. And I think it was a look of love. It was a look of compassion. It was a look of, I know. I, I told you this would happen. I'm preparing you for this. But then he reminds him of something else. He says, I want to remind you that nothing is a surprise to me. I've seen your past. I've seen your future. And I still chose you. I still called you to be with me, to be my own, to be a child of God. I'll take you with all your faults and your failings and your brokenness. I'll take you. Because that's our God. And then he reminds him that he's always on his mind. He says, I have prayed for you. He says, Satan has asked to sift you as weak. He's going to test you and you're going to deny me. But I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Now you read this passage and you think, well, how does that work then? Because his faith did fail, didn't it? So is Jesus' prayer not effective? How does this happen? And I'm saying this because this is what we think. How does this work? But he gives us an understanding of how Jesus sees failure. He said, I've prayed for you that you would not fail. There's a guy called Robert Murray McShane. And he said this, he says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. I'm thankful for the people who have prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for the generations who have prayed for me over the years. I know Luke is, I know Paul is, I know Adele is. As you prayed for one another as a church, generation to generation, and seeing people coming saved and coming uh, restored to God and coming back out to the wilderness and from the world. But I tell you, what, I'm more thankful that Christ is still praying for me. I'm thankful for the people who pray for me, but the fact that Jesus hasn't given up on me and hasn't finished his ministry. When he died on the cross, people think that Jesus went back to heaven and that's it. 
No, no, he says he ascended on high and forever lives to make intercession for us. His ministry on the cross was in the end. He's still thinking about you, praying for you. Championing you on, cheering you on to win and succeed and overcome. Every test you face, every temptation you face, everything in life that comes your way, you're never on your own because Jesus is there and he's interceding and praying for you. And that's a wonderful thing. Because if anybody's prayers are going to work, they've got to be Jesus. Yeah? Some people would like Spurgeon to pray for my Wigglesworth. We've got Jesus. We don't need these guys. We've got Jesus. And yet Peter still denied him three times. But this tells me something, and we're going to get to that in a moment, that perhaps failure isn't how we see it, or maybe failure isn't how God sees it, and how we label it. I've failed, I feel like a failure. I am a failure. And God says, no, 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 you're not. And so he reminds him of another thing. He says, you're always on my mind, I'm going to pray for you. Nothing is a surprise to me, so you don't have to run and hide. He says, but I'm never going to give up either. You may give up on yourself, but I'm not going to give up on you. He says, remember this, in the passage we just read from the Passion Translation, remember this, after you've turned back to me and have been Restored. He just told him, you're going to deny me, you're going to fail me. But after you've turned back to me and been restored, God is in the business of restoration this morning. In all our failures and our mistakes and our faults and our mess, God is always working to restore us. Not to punish us, not to hurt us. There may be a moment of discipline. The Bible talks about he disciplines those he loves. And he wants us to realize, but that discipline is for our benefit so that we grow and develop, not to punish or hurt us or make us feel guilty. And this is the problem with I am a failure. We carry the guilt and shame of past mistakes into our present and into our future, and it hinders our progress. And today, this morning, we need to step out of guilt and shame. Because Jesus said, I'm not going to forgive, I'm not going to give up on you. I'll forgive and I'll restore you. And he told Peter this before he made his mistake, before he messed up. He said, I want you to remember this. That I'm a God who can turn things around. I'm a God who always gives hope. I'm a God who can restore the locust-eaten years. Those things that have been stolen from you, that have been ravaged, I can bring back and bless and increase. This is the God that we serve. And so some of you sitting here this morning may think, but you don't know me, you don't know my past, you don't know where I've been, you don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't, but God does. And I've never met a person yet that is beyond his mercy and grace, that is beyond his love, that can encompass and embrace them and bring them back. I've never met a person yet who is too far away that God cannot reach, who his hand cannot heal and deliver. The problem is not how bad we've been. The problem is how willing we are to surrender. That's the difference. People who find it difficult to surrender will always find it difficult to find the freedom and forgiveness that they want. When we hold on to things, it's hard to come to God and receive from him. Because when you're holding on to things, you can't open your hands to take what God wants to give you. When you're full of guilt and shame, And the past, it's hard to come to him so we can pour in the love and the grace that he wants to do in our lives. And so we have to come and we have to understand that he never gives up. Everyone remember Noel Richards, the singer? Yeah, 
it's all Matt Redman now, isn't it? It's all Chris Tomlin. You've got to have great ears, I think, to remember this one. But Noel Richards, he wrote a great song. And he says, my lips shall praise you, my great redeemer. My heart will worship almighty saviour. Then he says this, you take away all, you take my, all my guilt away. Turn the darkest night to brightest day. You are the restorer of my soul. He knew something of God in that. You take all my guilt and shame away. You're the restorer of my soul. Has God restored your soul this morning? He may have forgiven you. He may have redeemed you. You can say you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, you've come to faith. But as he restored your soul, your emotions, that place, that seat where you feel guilt and shame, as he restored that to a place where you identify with God and you're no longer carrying the labels of failure and past, but now you're in a place where you say, God, I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, I'm more than a conqueror, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm the apple of his eye. I am beloved, accepted, highly favored. All of these things are the promises of God for us. But isn't it easier to believe this? It's easier to believe this because we feel it and we've done it. So we carry on with it and we put it back in our rucksacks and we carry on. And our Christian walk becomes a trudge and a burden and heavy laden. But we know what Jesus said about that. Come to me and I'll give you rest. And then he says this. He says, I want you to remember when I've restored you, make it your life mission. This is what he says, to strengthen the faith of your brothers. What was he saying to him? He was saying, Peter, I want you to know something. That failure isn't final and failure isn't fatal. I'll say that again. He wants him to know something. That failure isn't final and failure isn't fatal. He says, after I've restored you, I still have a purpose for you. You are not disqualified. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to reinstate you so that I can still use you to build my church, to make a difference. So when you return to me, and that's the key point, when we return to God, I'll restore you and I'll also equip you and use you. I can imagine that Peter didn't feel like that as he walked out of that courtyard after denying Jesus, as he was sobbing and crying and his heart was broken over what he had done. I can imagine him sitting down and thinking, it's over. Actually, we see a little bit of that because he goes back to fishing and Jesus meets him on the beach. He'd gone back to what he knew, back to what he used to do. Remember, he left the nets, he left his father and he went and followed Jesus. Now he's gone back to that. Because inside of him, he's carrying, I am a failure. I'm disqualified. He called me to be a fisherman of men. It didn't work out. I'll go back to being a fisherman. I'm not a fisherman of men. I wasn't the person I thought I was. I'm a failure. Let's go back to what I know. And that's the temptation in life. We go back to what we know. Because the enemy has convinced us that we weren't good enough. I want to let you into a secret this morning. You never were. <laughs> So don't start that. You never were. So you never can be and you never will be. That's why Jesus had to come. This idea of um, universal salvation, everybody goes to heaven, is the biggest lie on the planet. I'm sorry to say, not everybody goes to heaven. There's only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. It's not popular, but it's still true. It's still true. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ this morning. 
So when we say, oh, and I, I, I remember dealing with this with a lady, she must have been about 80 years of age, and she's so guilt-ridden and struggling, they asked us to pray for her because she just felt like she wasn't good enough. And that was her words, I'm just not good enough for God. And I said, well, why did you think you were? And so I took her through the gospel. She'd been saved years, 80 years of age, she'd been saved years, and I had to take her through the basics of the gospel and say, but you never were. I said, your problem isn't the fact that you're not good enough. Your problem is, is the fact that your eyes are on you and not on Christ. He is good enough. He is the one who, who gives us his righteousness. It's his merits we stand on, his word, not ours. And she said, thank you, and we prayed with her. And I said, look, take your eyes off yourself because you're going to struggle. Put your eyes on Christ. You were never good enough, but he made us righteous in him. And that's the difference. That's when we become qualified to be serving God and to do his will. Am I qualified because of me? No. Am I qualified because of my goodness and my holiness? No. I'm qualified because of him and what he's done for me. Now, I have to prove myself and I have to show myself faithful and I have to be committed and grow and mature so that I can be fit for purpose. All of that doesn't mean I can do whatever I like and still serve God. But what I'm saying is what qualified me wasn't me. Was my education? Thank goodness for that. I didn't have much of one. It, it, it wasn't my background. It wasn't because I come from a Christian home, because I didn't. It wasn't any of that. I was saved and I served because of the grace of God and his mercy and kindness. But the trouble is we corrupt that and we lose sight of that in our failings, in our faults, in our mistakes. And so when we're doing well, we feel great. And when we're not doing well, we're down and we're out. The reason I call this message down but not out, one reason is because I grew up with two brothers who loved boxing. And if I was allowed to stay up late enough, I would watch the boxing matches with Mike Tyson and Frank Bruno and all of these guys that anyone under 20 probably don't know who they are. But I used to stay up and watch these boxing matches. And my brother went to put the kettle on as the match started one time. And as he put the kettle on to make a cup, he came back and the match was over. He stayed up till two in the morning to watch that. And the guy had knocked him out in the first round. And my brother, other brother was laughing. He said, you missed it. But when you're watching boxing, they often say this. He's down, but he's not out. Because he gets up again. And he starts again. And the ref looks him over and makes sure he's okay. And then he says, okay, carry on. And they fight again. And they go again for another round. And in the Christian life, it's like that. We get knocked down, but we get up again. There's a song there. If you can hear, I get knocked down. But it should be the anthem of our life. The fact, the problem isn't getting knocked down. The problem is that we don't get up. See, God never meant a knockdown to become a knockout. And I always remember someone saying, when you take a knockback, don't take a step back because God is looking for a comeback. That's clever, isn't it? It's not mine. But um, that's the truth of it. We get knocked down, but we get up again. And we fight again. And we go again. Because God dusts us off and removes the labels. And he says, you failed, all right. And you feel like a failure. I get it. But you're not a failure. This is not your identity. So don't make it that. Because it'll limit and hinder what God wants to do. Okay. John 21. I'm going to finish in a moment. Give you a bit of hope. Preachers say that. I'm still going for another 20 minutes. Don't I? John 21 is where Jesus reinstates or restores Peter. He meets him on the beach. Peter comes in off the boat. He sees this Jesus. He dives in and he swims back to him. And then they have this conversation that goes something like, Peter, do you love me more than these? You know the story? Peter, do you love me more than me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. 
Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, I know I love you. Feed my sheep. And he says it three times. Now, it's interesting in there. It says when he said it the third time, Peter was hurt. He was grieved by the fact that Jesus asked him a third time. Now, this is my understanding of it and my interpretation of it. I don't think he was upset because he asked him three times. I think he was upset because the language changed. Because if you read it in the Greek, there's difference. See, it went something like this. Peter, do you agape me? Divine, sacrificial love. Unconditional love that only God has and can show. Do you have divine love for me? Peter replies, filial. No, I only have human love. I'm only fond of you. But I don't have unconditional love. So Jesus says to him again, do you agape me? And Peter says, no, Lord. I filial you. Human, conditional love. See, what he's doing is he's admitting his mistakes. He's realizing his weakness. He says, Lord, we both know I don't because I just denied you. If I had agape you, I wouldn't have denied you. But because it's only filial human love, at the moment of temptation and persecution, I shrunk back. I stepped back and denied I even knew you. That's not agape love. He says, so we know. And, and I think this pleased Jesus because for the first time, Peter was being honest. He was being honest of where he was at. And he was admitting his humanity and his faults. And so the third time where Peter is grieved, Jesus changes the language. He says, do you agape me? No, I only filio you. Do you agape me? No, I only filio you. The third time he says, do you filio me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. It grieved Peter that Jesus had to change the language, but Jesus did it because he met him where he was. Do you see that? Do you see the difference? He says, I've come to restore you and reinstate you, and I know you don't love me like you should, but I'll meet you where you are, and I'll bring you on a journey that will cause you to turn filio into agape. You will turn human love into divine love, and you will sacrifice yourself for me. Tradition tells us that Peter was crucified upside down and died quite a painful death. He eventually gave his life. And we don't have to go very far to see that, because when you go from John into Acts, we see a different Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing up and proclaiming to the people that this was the Son of God you were crucified and killed. He's no longer denying him. He's no longer backing away and shrinking away. Now he's declaring him with boldness and courage, filled with the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 are saying, the Peter who denied Christ is now the Peter of revival. This is how God can use us in our brokenness and our humanity. But we have to be honest and allow God to deal with it and restore us and heal us. I'm sure there were people there who said, isn't that the Peter who denied him? Who does he think he is standing up declaring this? Who is he to accuse us of, of crucifying the Son of God? He's telling us we've got his blood on our hands. Who does he think he is? But Peter had suddenly realized it was not about him. It was all about God. The Holy Spirit filled the Holy Spirit, made the difference. And Peter was no longer, I am a failure. He was now, I am a child of God. Called with a purpose, restored. And I'm going to fulfill that purpose with every passion, and every fiber in my being. And God wants to do the same for us this morning. Are you down? Maybe. But I can assure you, you're not out. The bell hasn't rung. The enemy doesn't have the final say. There's grace, there's mercy, there's restoration this morning. Your potential can still be fulfilled. God can still use you to do great things if you will allow him this morning.
He took Peter and he used him to build his church for the greater purpose. Was Peter perfect? No, he wasn't. But God's love is perfect. God's mercy is perfect. God's grace is perfect. So maybe some of you this morning need to take off the labels. Some of you maybe need to leave these go. Maybe the label you're carrying is, is the label of past habits. Maybe it's drug addiction. Maybe it was prison. I talked to someone who's still ashamed of the fact that they went to prison and they embarrassed their parents. I said, when did this happen? He said, in the 70s. Well, he took 50 years ago. And he said, I still can't get over it. This wasn't a Christian, but he said, I can't get over it. I, the disappointment on my parents' face. I said, but that was 50 odd years ago. We're still carrying it. And all of these things in church life, maybe it's divorce, maybe it's depression. Maybe it's these things. It doesn't necessarily mean sin. It could mean just failure in some sort of way that we feel like. And we carry that label. Let me surprise you by something. Let me say this to you. How many of you would like to be like Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, if you've heard of him? We would love that. You know, he was one of the men who had a church built for him because they couldn't contain the people that were coming to hear him. 10,000 people a week would turn up and listen to him preach. But this is what he said. He said, fits of depression come over the most of us. Usually cheerful as we may be, we are at intervals cast down. The strong and are always vigorous. The wise are not always ready, and the brave are not always courageous, and the joyous are not always happy. What he was doing was explaining to people that he suffered with depression. Charles Spurgeon, the great prince of preachers, wrestled with depression and mental health. But he wasn't disqualified. And if you go through the history, you will see over and over and over again, Evan Roberts had a breakdown. These people weren't perfect. But they were dependent and they knew the God they believed in and they were confident in him. And what they had was they had the labels removed and replaced with the title child of God. And that's what they lived in, the confidence of that, which the enemy can never take away. Who can separate us from the love of God? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so this morning you have an enemy, you have an opponent who wants to knock you down, but you choose whether that knockdown becomes a knockout or whether you get back up again this morning. And so I just want to finish by saying God wants to put people back on their feet. God has so much more in store for you this morning. So much more joy, so much more love and grace. He wants to use you to your full potential, but you're struggling because of what you're carrying. And God said, I never meant for you to carry that. What does the scripture say? Cast all your cares. That word cast means to throw off. That's what it means. It means literally to take off and throw off. That rucksack you're carrying full of hurts, hang-ups, and habits, take it off and throw it onto God. Because he can carry it. And he can deal with it. And then we can be free to serve him this morning. Is your past still following you into your future? Is what's happened to you become your identity and label you so you feel shame and guilt? Do you think sometimes if the church knew, they wouldn't want me? That's what the enemy tells us. Because he wants to restrict us. He knows your potential and what God can do when we realize and we are set free from the things that he tries to put on us.